You're listening to the FMC podcast. Thanks for tuning in. All right, welcome to the FMC podcast. I'm Matt Spazali, and I'm Jonathan Keel, and we're broadcasting from uh, a camper in in Big Woods down here in South Louisiana. Uh, we got kicked out of our other recording space because um, our directors no longer approve of our message and they're trying to shut us down. Uh, that's not true. We uh, we just started intake here, our missionary training, and uh, we got a new class of people and their kids are in the uh, kids ministry trailer that we had occupied actually as our um, podcast studio. So now we're, we moved to a little camper and I actually, the acoustics are pretty good in it. Um, I think, I think this is going to sound good. So, uh, in the name of the father and And the the son and the Holy Holy spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we praise you and we thank you uh, for all our many blessings. Thank you for, um, providing us a space to uh, talk about you, talk about how you've been working in our lives. Um, thank you for uh, all the blessings and all, all the um, things that have been provided for us as missionaries, um, provided for Family Missions Company, and all the uh, donors and people who make this possible. We uh, praise you, Lord. We thank you, and we just ask you to uh, come down and uh, inspire our conversation. May it um, hold some pearls of wisdom or of your wisdom, Lord, um, for other people. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. So, um, we've got another uh, sort of what have you been up to podcast going on. Um, I recently went to the Missio Congress in Orlando, and Jonathan just got back from a trip to Ecuador, Mm -hmm. and so we're just going to tell you a little bit about that. Um, I guess actually, Jonathan, you you want to sure go? All right, what 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 were you doing? Where why were you down there? What's so uh, we went down. I went down with another missionary, Jason Healy, a good friend of mine. And uh, Jason had been trying to get me down in Ecuador for the last two or three years. Uh, and that's his his love. Uh, yeah, it really is. He's he's been a missionary down in the um, in these. I guess they call it. Um, they don't have states, but they call it um, province. The province of Napo and. Um, in the vicariate of Napo and uh, he just over the years has had various men, uh, single missionaries come in men and women and they've been really hoping for a family and our family has been looking for a mission post and so in our discernment uh, my wife asked well why don't you go down there we found some really cheap tickets on Labor Day uh, it was just surprisingly cheap, and so I said, well, let's just book it for Labor Day. This was back in maybe June, and um, so we got it. and really thought much of it and of the dates or anything, but we uh, flew out there, and I admit I uh, had a real rough time going out. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I got to my, uh, to my hotel in New Orleans and found out they didn't have a shuttle that would bring me to the airport, so um end up paying about $20 for the taxi to bring me. And I, I just was in a really bad uh, frame of mind at the beginning. I felt like the Lord was asking me to let go of that. So I did. Uh, praise the Lord. went back to my hotel, prayed a rosary, and just really felt at peace, which was good because uh, there were to be many more um, <laughs> obstacles to getting there. And um, in fact, we first in the morning, I had to be at the airport at 2.30 a.m. I got there. And uh, we, I got checked in, and we waited four hours every half an hour. This Copa airline was telling us they'd give us more information. They're reviewing the plane, and finally they said the flight was canceled, and the next one would be 24 hours later. So 
uh, I wasn't upset. A lot of people were upset, but I'd already gone through all that and given it up to the Lord. We we stayed in a hotel. I, I lost a day. I was going to be eight days in Ecuador, but I lost a day. But um, we we finally got on the plane. I flew to Panama City and missed my connection. And uh, and so about I was with five other people, and they were just livid. They were yelling, and uh, again, I was a, I was a really at peace. And um, they then flew us first class, which I'd never done before, which oh. was, it was pretty cool. But um, <laughs> when I got to Ecuador, it was just so, I felt so at peace. And uh, that's what I needed uh, is discerning, you know, to be uh, in a state of less agitation. And um, we, uh, we kind of went around in, the, in the, the Andes areas. Jason wanted to show me around. That was fine, but I, I still, I really wanted to get down to the jungle where we would be doing our mission. I really just, I was there to discern yeah. if this would be a place that would be fitting for my family. And I made kind of a list for the Lord uh, of things that, uh, you know, I was praying that he would provide if, if this was a place for us. And one of those involved schooling for my children. I, I wanted a place where they could go to school. We've had some issues and, um, in foreign schools, just not only with the quality, but just with the type of teachers and uh, mm. with going to a government school, some of the things they've been taught. So, I mean, I prayed even if it was possible, maybe a Catholic school. Um, and then just a place where we could invite, you know, we lost our son back in 2014 and um, it was, we started a ministry called the Ezekiel Home where we would have um, children come into our home and we would uh, teach them classes and spend time with them, evangelize, Bible studies, all sorts of things. And um, I was praying that we would be able to find a place where uh, we could invite children into our home, where we'd have enough space to do that, where there would be children. You know, we didn't really, I was hoping I wouldn't be asked to stay in a um, in a location that was mainly elderly, although that doesn't mean that that wouldn't be God's call, but I'm just going by my uh, human hopes and yeah. my, my desires. And um, I prayed that it would be a place that was a bit rugged, um, where my children could encounter nature, that it wouldn't be a, just a place that was, you know, asphalt streets. And I just, I really think it's important that uh, young people are able to enter into the beauty of creation. And um, anyways, we, we, we got down to meet the bishop. He was in Italy. So that was kind of another blow we just hmm. felt. But um, then something extraordinary happened to me. And it was probably the most meaningful thing that's happened to me in a long time. Um, I mean, I was getting all sorts of beautiful verses that just seemed to confirm me being there. And... Uh, on September 7th, as we were leaving a town called Banos up in the mountains and heading for the jungle, I was talking to Jesus. I said, you know, tomorrow's going to be a hard day because uh, September 8th, which is the Our Lady's birthday, uh, was also the day that we lost our son. And I said, I've never been away from my family on this day. You know, it's the third three-year anniversary of this happening and I was already feeling kind of heavy and uh, Jason all of a sudden said to me well we need to visit the Ezekiel chapel tomorrow and I said you know what are you talking about he's like don't you remember and I said no and he kind of started bringing me back and I remember that when our son passed away people were so generous they gave us all sorts of uh, help and and um, and contributed to our mission and we wouldn't really just use that money for anything. We really wanted to use it for something that uh, would kind of be like a lasting memory of, for our son. And one of our missionaries, uh, that was a good friend of mine, Ryan Lawless, uh, who was in Ecuador at that time, said, well, look, one of our local communities, they don't have a chapel. They don't have a place where they could worship. And I said, well, let's do that. We'll, um, we'll give you the money to build this chapel. And there was a chapel built in honor of our, our son Ezekiel. And we just happened to be in the neighborhood on that day, which was not wow. planned. So it just felt, uh, yeah, it felt so, in, I mean, I cried right there, but I yeah. really felt like the spirit was doing something special. Um, at that moment, we were driving through the town where, and it's not really a town, but um, the place where they where the missionaries in the movie The End of the Spear were killed, uh, these uh, Protestant missionaries, yeah. uh, Nate Saint, and the other guy's name was uh, Jim Elliott. They had been killed by one of the tribes back in maybe the 50s. And um, it was just this surreal moment. And so we, uh, the following day, we went out to a town called Awano, where 
we had been told the bishop wasn't there, but the, the person in charge, uh, a priest in charge, uh, well, the bishop's gone, had said, you know, one of the three places we'd love to have missionaries in Awano. And we were already heading that way, so we went to look at it, and we just passed through Awano. I didn't think much of it. Um, I wasn't against it, but we got out to the chapel at a town called San Pedro, and then there was a bunch of uh, Quechuan words after that they can't really remember. But it was so beautiful. There were kids climbing trees all around this beautiful chapel. Um, and I just felt so... We went and we prayed there, and the local, some of the locals came by, and they said, you know, this is a very holy place for us. This is not a tourist site. You know, they didn't really know who we were, and, and Jason's kind of gained some weight from being in Mexico. Everyone uh -huh. was telling them, like, you're so much bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but um and muchos tacos it was really funny but um he kind of took off his sunglasses and started talking they realized who he was and then i explained my connection That's with awesome. this chapel and um a guy like hugged me he was like oh. thank you so much you don't know how much this place means to us and um they they let us in and we got to walk inside and i was just so utterly blessed that um you know even in a place I'd never been, there was this place where um, our little missionary son had, you know, his this this contribution. And um, we uh, after we left, we went down to Awano, back to Awano, and we wanted to go see the mission. And I was blown away. We walk in, and it was a little Catholic school. It's from K to twelve. It was probably two hundred kids running everywhere around. There were little houses where uh, missionaries had lived before that weren't being lived in. There was a place where we could live. Uh, the kids everywhere. I just felt immediately like the Lord had heard this list that I had made yeah. of a schooling. It was right there. You know, the idea of even teaching there. I'm, I was a teacher for 10 years before missions. Uh, housing was there. It was uh, a very rugged place. There was, I mean, there was an island right across uh, in the river right uh you could see it right from the mission it's called anaconda island because an anaconda lives on that island so you know not to go on <laughs> oh it goodness. uh there were piranhas in the water yeah uh i mean it was a very rugged place and uh i just felt all the things that i had i'd prayed for as strange as some of that sounds were right there and it just happened to be happening on this day our lady's birthday and the anniversary of the loss of our son and felt so close to Ezekiel that moment uh, I said you know son I don't know if you how all of it works once you <laughs> leave this life and how much you know of God's plans and how if you have anything to do with this but I just felt so at peace and I was given this verse from uh, John 16:20 and John 16 uh, 22 uh, I want to say that basically said, you know, you will you will be sad for a time, but then um, your joy will be made complete, and that joy will never be taken from you. I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. and I just felt like this. There was a, such a potential here, and unfortunately, we didn't get to talk to the pastor. He was on vacation, so there were still these kind of questions and yeah. uh i just sent a letter to the bishop yesterday uh asking if there's a mission there you know so we can begin to our discernment process and more more earnestly but that was something that really uh blew me away just like these kids the people were so kind one place we went to uh we stopped for the night at a hostel they knew we were missionaries and the owners of the hostel said please don't stay at this hostel take our home Oh and goodness. uh we wow. stayed in their house for free they didn't they just they stayed in the hostel <laughs> and that was just uh it was really beautiful to see the hospitality and the generosity again of foreigners yeah. of uh of the poor and it was uh it really left a lasting impression on me it really challenged me inside to be more generous and hospital as missions always does um i remember another Another interesting and, and beautiful moment was when we went to eat breakfast at a place and the woman said, um, you guys are tourists visiting. We said, no, we're missionaries. And she said, please come back later and read the Bible to me, um, you know, and come and pray with me. And we said, OK, so we came back um, later to eat at her restaurant and she brought her whole family, her husband. She said, you know, pray over me, like, please lay hands on me like uh 
Wow. It was actually more than we would have even normally expected. And yeah. we prayed right there in a restaurant and, um, you know, we read the scriptures to her and just encouraged her to um, continue to faithfully attend Mass and, and be a part of that faith community up in a place called Papa Yakta. And um, it was just, it was a, a real, a beautiful, a beautiful time. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes of it all. How, how did it, uh, the people there, I mean, you, being in Peru, which is a neighboring country, mm-hmm. but uh, were you near Peru or were you closer to... No, we were about central Ecuador, and Ecuador okay. is a small place. I don't know, uh, I haven't looked at any statistics, but it's certainly probably a third to a fourth the size of Peru, which is Peru, the total area, I think, is twice Texas. Okay. Um, and so... You know, the whole country is about probably somewhere around half the size of Texas. And so uh, it doesn't feel like Texas. There's no wide open places. So uh, even though it's not it's not very uh, large, it feels like it feels large because Mm -hmm. the terrain changes so quickly. It's so condensed. And that was condensed. And that was one of the things that also really I've never seen anything like. Um. That day we were in Awano, or last time we were in the jungle, uh, I had, again, as part of all of these obstacles, three days before we left for Ecuador, I got covered in poison ivy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I had to go get a shot and all these, you know, and so I was still really badly broken out, uh, and we were just sweating so bad, I was so itchy, and I said, Jason, like, man, I'm really, I'm really suffering right now trying to offer this up. And he said, you want to go somewhere where it's cold? And I said, what are you talking about? I mean, there's not even air conditioning. Yeah. And he said, he told the taxi driver, let's go to Papayakta. And uh, two and a half hours later, we were up in a town about 13,000 feet higher. Wow. And uh, it was so cold. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't even talk on the phone to my wife outside. My hand was shaking so much. It was going <laughs> numb. a little too cold. And they told me, uh, yeah, they said eight days ago it snowed here. And you could see snow on the mountains, on the volcanoes especially. And I just couldn't believe it that two hours away, we went from basically sweltering heat and just very humid jungle to dry and very cold mountain. Uh, It was totally different. The plants were different. The terrain was different. Uh, I've never been... I can honestly say that I've never seen a more beautiful country as... uh, I've never been able to go around a country besides our own uh, like Ecuador. And I mean, uh, the United States has so much beauty. It just... The amount of time it takes to see it is... Uh, you know, is weeks, and there right. you could cross the whole country, and just within an hour, it feels like you're in a totally different country because of the, the um the architecture changes, the, the um jungle goes away, and the mountains are there, and you know if we kept going a few more hours, we'd be on the coast, and yeah, it's just it was very it left a great impression on me. Um, I felt. The, again, the one the one common thread was the people were just so kind that yeah. we met um, uh, in these small towns all over. I, I wasn't very much impressed by Quito, the capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a large city, and cities are what cities are. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a uh, was even, was Awano like a a city? Would you even no no Awano is. Um, is I mean to get to Awano, it's really interesting because there's no bridge. There's a big river that's around it. I, I don't remember the name of the river, but you have to take a ferry or a, a canoe across to uh, Awano, wow. and um, and then once you're on that side, if you wanted to keep going to the jungle in the province of Napo, there are a number of tribes that speak all sorts of languages, and some of them have no contact with the modern world. Right. Which uh, I was really that was hard to imagine even that. Uh, but those are like the 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 is it the Warani or the Ru- There is a tribe called the the Ruani or something like that, yeah. and um, 
but they are they they come into contact with um with some of the modern ecuadorians uh but they choose to be separate yeah but there are actually some tribes they both start the t i was looking this up um and they literally live uh they live on basically uh i'm not sure where they live to be honest but somewhere out in the jungle and ecuador apparently has some laws that, it reminded me of something from star trek but it's like there's laws against uh modern society entering in and sh- giving them cell phones and things like that right. like they're to be left and i don't know how that relates to missionary work uh i'd like to look into that and just see for you know yeah. if we ever were to go there but um but nevertheless it was uh it was very different from peru in that sense peru um where we worked in peru at least there wasn't a lot of history um there were only a, maybe three generations of people that had lived there because it was a it was um they call it colonization in ecuador okay. but it's basically what we called the uh Oh, I don't remember the 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 name of it in the United States off the top of my head, but maybe the Homestead Act, where we allowed people to just go out, it, and, you know, go west. Yeah, yeah. and and claim land, okay. and that's what happened in our area of Peru. You know, back uh, before, uh, probably in the, uh, the early 1900s, uh, people came out and just kind of claimed land. There were okay. no towns that we knew of that were even a hundred years old. Uh, most were. There might have been one or two that was like a little over a hundred years old, but um, whereas in Ecuador, I mean, you have these tribes that have been living there for uh, who, knows who knows how long, right. you know. But they they lived in their ways, and um, and so there was that was a, a major difference. Is it just felt like there was this real ancient culture that was also you had the modern, you know, pop. I don't know what else to call it, but this <laughs> pop consumer culture that was just yeah. overrunning everything like, you know, Ivy in the jungle. So uh, you had just a diversity that I hadn't ever seen before. Wow. Yeah. But what about you? Uh, well, yeah. So tell me about this uh, conference. So this um, this and they, they uh, were specific in calling it a congress okay not a conference um and i think that was to encourage us and to let us know that as a people attending it they wanted to hear from us not so much at a conference where you've got a lineup of speakers and they talk to you and maybe you process some new theological uh idea or a, a new encyclical that comes out this um congress uh which was put on by the pontifical mission societies of uh, the united states um it was they, they took pains to call it a congress and and say that they wanted it to really to be a discussion of people involved in missionary work who are based in the United States. So that could be people like us who are based in the United States but are foreign missionaries, Um, people like Focus, um, Fellowship of Catholic University Students, I think, uh, and um, who are... I mean, they're 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 actually expanding quite a bit into the the rest of the world, but they started off as just a I think um, a U.S. based university ministry. Um, all kind of different people gathered um, at this congress, um, and they so it was to gather uh, insights from from the. Um, as they say, increasingly intercultural Catholic Church in the United States, and it was a, a very bilingual uh, meeting. Uh, even this material I'm looking at right now has side by side a Spanish and English translation of the opening, or of an opening remarks from the director of the Pontifical Mission Society. So it was cool. Um, it, it really. As we know, the church in America is increasingly Hispanic, and so uh, there was 
um, we we had we were singing Spanish songs and English songs, and wow, it cool. felt, you know, it felt um, progressive in that sense, but a, a very appropriate it as well. Um, not that those two things are mutually exclusive, but uh, I think so, some people might assume they are. Um, <clears throat> so that was cool. Then also, um, so they were trying to gather us all together, just people involved in missionary work. Um, their pro- it was the intent was also to prepare a delegation to represent the United States Catholic Church. Um, at the Continental Missionary Congress in Bolivia in next year, in July of 2018. Um, so that's from people from North America, South America, Central America, all uh, the entire um, Americas. Uh, they call, this is the fifth meeting. So they were trying to put together our delegation... Um, which I'm not actually sure how they're going to go about doing that. Like, I don't, it's not like we were sitting around and voting for delegates or something. I'm sure they just choose who they want, but, um, they may have a document that they put together to present to this missionary Congress, um, in, in Bolivia. Um, but... Yeah, it was, uh, well, first of all, I'll just say the Pontifical Mission Societies, um, I have to admit that I didn't know a whole lot what they were involved in before I accepted the invitation to go and do this. Um, and I think at the, uh, maybe I should have done this at the outset, but um, it's probably probably good to understand who they are Um there was a woman in France in, I don't know, maybe the 19th, early 19th century or something, who started up um, basically a gathering money and resources to support foreign missions. Um, and they were, uh, initially, those missions were to the United States. So she, they, they raised money for missionaries to come uh, to the United States and to other places in the Americas. Okay. Um, eventually, her society, I can't remember what the name of it is, but her society and then several, then like two others gathered were gathered together and called the Pontifical Mission so- Societies, um, and they're, they're the the arm of the Pope, you know, pontifical, um, the arm of the Pope in mission support. Uh, And what does that even, what does that mean? I don't really know, but they, um, they've generally, uh, because mission, generally in the Catholic Church, missionary activity has been involved or been carried out by religious congregations, priests and and nuns and brothers. Um, They've primarily been a a fundraiser for those congregations. Um, They're not... And then those congregations themselves are the ones directing their movement. You know, the the Jesuits decide where they want to go and go there. Uh, the Pontifical Mission Society doesn't say have much to say about that. It's more of this support thing. So, which was a question I posed because I I wasn't, and I probably <laughs> they were, uh, they were very um, kind in answering my question. But I, I was like, does the Pontifical Mission Society have a plan for evangelizing the five billion people who aren't? Christian in the world, you know, if, if it, I don't know if that's the top, if that's coming from the top, what, shouldn't we have some kind of plan? And they were like, well, um, and then they, they kind of backed up and explained that that's in a sense, they're not a, they're not a strategic organization sending people out. 
they support. Um, now, p- certainly people at FMC would say, well, then why aren't they supporting us? I think this is, what's really cool is that this is like maybe a first step in, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to say monetary, I don't know, a first step in that direction. I mean, this is the first time that the Pontifical Mission Societies has um, gathered together lay organ organizations of lay people in any kind of major way for a discussion so um as frustrating as it is uh, you know i've only been involved with family missions company for about a year and a half but you know this has been frank and Jeannie have been doing it for 40 something years fmc has been around for 20 years um there's we can be uh, maybe justifiably impatient with the slow-moving response of the church to what we're already doing, um, but that you know, I, I recognized at, while I was there that I needed to just be patient. Like this is a first, a good first step in a mm-hmm. process of recognizing that the old way of and this, and they recognize this too. The old way of missionary activity, where it was primarily religious congregations, those congregations are dwindling. So the mission society um, is trying to figure out where where it fits now. What does mm, it do? What wow. does it support? And I think it's gathering together these different groups to... Uh, explore how it you know and it's it's amazing you know this is basically a this is Vatican II trickling down over the decades um the Vatican II called for lay involvement and you know that was something that Mr. Frank and Miss Jeannie took very seriously but it's something that even today is there are widely different differing perspectives on mm. that within the clergy, within uh, the hierarchy of the church, uh, of of what that involvement should be, and the idea that some lay people are running around following the Holy Spirit is uh, challenging to many people. Um, but I, I uh, definitely would say I didn't get any sense at all. Um, and I talked to with Mr. Frank, and he was a little worried about this, uh, that maybe somebody at the uh, behind all this is looking to control things or get a put a lid on on this stuff. Uh, but I, my impression was that everyone there was sincerely one. This is just really cool. Everyone there sincerely had a relationship with Christ. Like the people, all of the uh, the directors. I it was. It felt um, very authentic, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't get any sense from anyone that they were looking to control what FMC does or what anybody else does. They, I, I there was a genuine. Desire to understand what we were doing, so one you know, so that one they I guess they could present that at the this next Congress uh, in Bolivia maybe, um, and and really just get us together. Um, I and I thanked them for that. It was like it was so cool. I met this woman Carol uh, Restain who is with a group called the Missioners of Christ. And they started in Virginia, Virginia somewhere, and they have um, a mission house in Honduras, and they go on trips to Africa. They don't have any permanent bases in Africa, but um, I think she said Kenya and Uganda, and... um, but I, talking to her, I felt like I was talking to an FMC person, you know, someone mm-hmm. like really a lay, she's a lay person. Um, she was 
She's got inquiries from families who want to join her, and she was asking me, you know, could I share some of our prep materials and uh, training formation materials. Um, it was really great because I think a lot of times we at FMC can feel isolated from um, a lot of the rest of the church, not because we're trying to isolate ourselves, but um, we're not all on the same page, frankly, you know, um, and uh, it was cool to see that we're not the only ones feeling called to this, and there's another woman, um, Marta, who um, was basically just organizing mission stuff on her own, like, she got involved with some people who were going to other countries, and then, I'm not exactly sure what what she does, um, or I I don't quite remember right right at this moment, but um, she, it was like she genuinely saw the needs of the poor and the needs of people to hear the gospel and wanted to be involved in it, and she was just doing it, you know, and that's, that kind of uh, openness to the Holy Spirit and, and in following God in unconventional ways was on display at, at this and there are, there are other people interested in it um, we certainly know that in our organization because we keep getting people uh, who want to become mission FMC missionaries um, but we also don't want we never want to have a monopoly on on that at all. I, I, Mr. Frank told me, like, I, I wish there were ten thousand family missions companies, you know, it's what whatever name they would want around the world doing this stuff. We, you know, it's a, it's the Lord's mission, and we're just trying to follow it. But mm, amen. Um, it, it was so. It was very encouraging um, to have. It was a small group. It was only, you know, about a hundred people. Um, a small group gathered together because we believe in Jesus and believe that we need to spread the gospel. Um, another encouraging thing was, or just that, um, there wasn't a... that Nobody even breathed a hint of... Uh, well, maybe we shouldn't be spreading the gospel. Let's just serve the poor, monetary, you know, the material needs of the poor, which, you know, we obviously agree should be done, but it should never be separated from the gospel. And that was a common ground at this thing. And I, I think uh, I've talked to some other people who've been to other mission, con- Catholic mission conferences, mm-hmm. where they. Uh, don't talk about Jesus much. You know, this was decidedly um, gospel-centered, you know, centered around Jesus uh, and his church and what what the mission of it is. Now, carrying that out looks... Everyone has different ways of doing that or, or different um, feelings, so it's not like it was a group of... Uh, all foreign missionaries uh, interested in gospel poverty um, and that brings me to the the next uh, element of this um, and and just formally I would like to say that I and I told all the I told the people at the Congress this as well like I really I genuinely loved that it happened I was really happy to be there and involved in it um, and I know how hard it is to put on a big thing like that um, so with all appreciation and, and respect uh, it was strange for me to be in Orlando um, at a resort, almost, uh, really the nicest place I think I've ever stayed, um, 
and there's this huge hotel with a golf course and three pools and they had dinner lavish dinners i mean the the food was fantastic and the, there was a lot of it um and <laughs> there we were broken up into smaller groups of people you know there's a hundred of us and then we're broken up into different groups and we the group that i chose to be in was uh mission with and for the poor so even especially sitting in that group in this luxurious place was a, a contrast that certainly didn't pass any you know pass by anyone in that group but no one was bringing it up and at this so the last the last session that we had we it was basically just a sum up session sort of what do you think about what we've been talking about and we were talking about the poor and their lot and the how we're called to help them and um the facilitator uh opened the floor up and everyone was kind of looking down at their shoes i don't know nobody really had anything and i was going to wait till maybe the end cuz i didn't i knew that if i dropped this bomb in the room that it was going to dominate the conversation and i didn't really know if that i didn't know if that's what it needed to happen and i had prayed about this about bringing up the fact that um how can we be in solidarity with the poor mm. while we're in luxury um it's not compatible and so I was, I was just like, oh man, Lord, I didn't want to, I wanted to do it in the sense that I, if I'm, if God puts me in a position to be a voice for the poor, mm -hmm. then praise God, I want, I do want to do that. I want to, they're not there to speak for themselves. Yeah. Um, so I, I felt, you know, ju justified and, um, like I wasn't speaking out of pride or anything uh, in delivering this message, but I also knew it's just it. It's so easy for it to be maybe misinterpreted or things get easily turned on you. Like, oh well, you were eating that the steak we had the other night. What a you know, and and it's like I know I I I recognize my sinfulness and my addiction to comfort and especially as an American, just having all of these things surrounding us. But I, I said, you know, this, how can we be a poor church for the poor? I mean, this does not look like a poor church for the poor, as the Pope is calling. And whatever, I mean, I, I don't know, whatever we think about that, it's like, I want, I want to do that. And you would assume that the mission societies would get that. And if they don't, what kind of message are we sending? Um, appearances matter, especially when they're coming from the top. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, does it, it doesn't look, it doesn't look like we're taking this seriously. It doesn't look, I mean, and honestly, from the place that we were, I mean, this resort it it looks like we're not even trying um so that i mean like <laughs> you could have heard a pin drop after i said that and i'm proud of you it was i was just like oh man lord why i mean we it's weird mixed with a, a a feeling of um you know doing the right thing like I, I i saw this nobody else was saying anything about it and so i had to speak up um and after i did most of the people in the room agreed and they, even while i was saying it i saw some of the people kind of like 
nodding their heads, and most of them, even after, thanked me for saying it. Um, there was some defense of the societies, uh, and or, or actually, people in the group kind of tried to um, theorize, well, how did this happen, or why, why are we here? Maybe this was the most convenient thing. And I prefaced ev- everything I said with... Uh, understanding that one I wasn't involved in the planning I don't know what happened I know that it's hard to do this it's hard to get people from all over the country together and it's easy to look in and uh, from the outside and criticize Um, so I'm not trying to like just bring down the, the societies I'm just stating a fact I, I think that we can we could all there agree that a simpler option could have been chosen um, and if that wasn't part of the calculus that went into planning this my opinion was that it should be and we didn't the facilitator was not part of the planning either, um, but she she was very. Her name's Tanya. She's actually in the Archdiocese of New Orleans, um, and uh, I guess a regional uh, m- director of uh, one of the pontifical mission societies. And she she I agreed with me and thought that it was, or agreed with me t- to an extent, I guess. Um, and felt like felt a similar way but um, you know it I will say it was an un- I, I don't know that I, I felt increasingly uncomfortable at this event and this was tor- towards you know I said that at, at the end and um, I don't know it's <laughs> It's, uh, we just gotta, you know, we've all got to do better. We just Mm got to do better. Like, if, who, uh, you know, the, um, Catholic, if there's some organization of Catholic CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, they're probably not going to pick... Um, well, yeah, that's, I I suggested, so while criticizing them, I said, what if we had, we could have gone to a convent or a retreat house, there's only a hundred of us, uh, I'm surely we have access to that in the United States, and across the entire United States, the church owns property, and, uh, if we had to pay for it, I'd certainly rather give them, you know, some mm-hmm. sisters' money or, or whatever. I, I, I've, it's like, um, we don't need to come to Orlando, um, a, a place that really for most people uh, typifies American excess, Disney World and, and then all these, like, just... Sunny, you've just won a trip to sunny Orlando, Florida. Like, just having having this thing there, to me, was difficult. Um, it's, I don't know, I feel kind of self-righteous every time I talk about this issue, and that, that's why it's difficult, because, you know, you know the way... I know the way it could come off, but I also know that I'm living right now in a trailer in a swamp with eight dudes. So I have a little bit, I mean, I've given up things enough to have, uh, I guess, a platform to stand on to say we can do better. Because, and I'm trying, I'm trying, I think so. That blesses me, man. Yeah. It needs to be said. It's hard to say those type of things, yeah. but um, 
you know, I remember our first year in Juarez, our second year where our son passed away, and uh, we we just received whatever house they they offered us, the town. It was a little tiny, tiniest house I've ever lived in. They had three rooms, a kitchen and two bedrooms, and then uh, a bathroom without running water. And uh, I remember we were so happy there. I remember people coming over and uh, them just saying to us, like, why would you live here? Mm-hmm. You know, you guys are missionaries. And they had been accustomed to kind of a more of a setting where, and this happens often, missions not everywhere, but I would say most places I've seen, um, you know, the clergy uh, are able to live uh, a more well-to-do life than many of the people. And I think for the people who have gone kind of accustomed to that, um, and they, they almost feel ashamed putting you up in right. some yeah, like you, other way. I mean, it's 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 interesting. It's like you know, we need to give you a place where you will be comfortable, and you will you need to live above the people because you represent the church. And it's sad that someone would think that when you think of um, our Lord, you know, and, and really uh, it would be beautiful if they just kind of thought, you know, that you would, because you represent the church, you would be happy anywhere. And um, I remember telling people, well, we just, we want to live like our Lord and we want to live in, uh, we didn't say solidarity. I don't know if they would have understood that, but we want to live with you, among you and like you. Yeah. Then I remember this lady raising her hand saying, Hallelujah. She was like almost in tears, just Uh. kind of uh, couldn't believe it. And um, I think, you know, there's, like you said, uh, there's certainly, um, you know, as we are able to live with less, it frees us. It frees up our, our resources to use on other things. And um, and that's something that I've really been, you know, um, it's something that I've really felt like the Lord has been calling uh, my family into. Uh, and so when you do meet, and, and I think most people recognize when they when they see a, a bishop um, who lives, you know, in a small apartment, I think I was uh, Bishop O'Malley. Mm-hmm. Um, I read about lived in like this super small apartment, or there was another bishop out in Oregon. I was reading about who lived with his mother <laughs> in an apartment. Yeah, uh, you you feel I felt admiration for this man in a way that was different than maybe uh, when you hear about you know the palace that a bishop lives in or clergy or you know um, a resort that's being built uh, on their behalf it just tends to give off of an impression of distance right. and and it also certainly in my in in my case uh it tends to weaken any words of solidarity of as just being that just words that are right. said that are empty of action yeah that's uh, my um my call to missions involved the witness of Pope Francis, of him choosing to live in a different place, to dress differently. Um, you, We could say, well, those are, you know, just, just as you can um, dismiss words as not being backed by actions, you can dismiss actions as show, in a sense. Mm-hmm. But I think... Th- the the reason Pope Francis is so popular is because people can really see that it's not just a show that he's interested in um he's he's recognizing that in especially in today's day and age where photographs and videos and communication like everything he does is broadcast he's got to be even you know that's a, that's a new development relatively in the church He's got to be even more careful of what he does and how the things, his actions will be perceived. And um, those choices... So, I mean, for me, 
that was a witness, a choice, these choices that he made called me and my attention to the poor, and, um, I, I think we just follow, you know, you can't go too wrong following the lead of the Pope, um, especially the good popes that we've had this this century really mm-hmm. or the past century and then and, and the current one um, and I, I uh, yeah I felt I don't know it was a good I was glad I was there I'm glad I was there to voice that opinion um, but also glad I was there to meet everyone and to have the feeling that this is as a church we've adopted oh yeah shoot, there's one other sort of point I wanted to make uh, I mentioned before we were recording um, this Professor Hossman Ospino um, who's a professor at Boston College and he gave uh, a keynote address to us that sounded like one of our intake si senor uh, sessions one of he was using our language he was he was quoting mission of the redeemer talking about the joy of the gospel um, it was a and I, I think this has this has come from Pope Francis as well a focus on um, on the margins, peripheries, the immigrants, um, on the poor, the vulnerable. This was the language that was being used, and and a unanimous understanding that we need to go out and be with them and bring them Jesus. You know, the, those the, our presence and our uh, witness and of of Christ. So it was a good it was a good thing. Um, one other thing, le- certainly a little less heavy, that I could say is there's this guy, um, and this this is so cool because it showed, you know, it's all it's awkward when the church or when older people try to do stuff with the younger generation, but you appreciate the effort. And in this case, it was really cool. So they they had this guy Josh Angrizano. Um, who's I can't remember his dad's name, but his dad's like big in Catholic conference circles or, or something like that. Uh, maybe Steve, I don't know. Someone out there knows what, what I'm talking about. But his son Josh is calls himself a hip hop evangelist, and this dude can rhyme. Like he he got up and just several times they just asked him to do his thing and he like he had these uh different songs and and spoke little spoken word things that he'd composed that were like this isn't like like silly stuff that happens to have a christian message or something like it was legitimately good rap which I I really appreciate, and so I haven't I haven't gone to his website yet. I think it's like Josh or no, it's Angrizano Raps dot com. Um, but I want to I liked him a lot, and I didn't get a chance to talk with him too much. He was actually in my group, the poverty group, but I didn't get the chance to talk to him. Um, so I want to give him a plug here and uh tell you to check that out awesome so i think that that we're right up uh on on an hour here and uh so we're gonna gonna close it out um jonathan you want to close this in prayer in the name of the father son the holy spirit amen lord of lords king of kings we offer you our our hands and our feet lord to be living acts of love We ask that you would make us, Lord, a church, a poor church for the poor, that you would help us to overcome our 
our fear, Lord, and our uh, resistance to go out into the peripheries as Pope Francis is calling us, as the Holy Spirit is moving us to go out and to jump out of the boat to seek you and the poor and the lost and the weary, the prisoners, to love our enemies, Lord, and to seek to bring them salvation, to seek to bring them your love and your peace. Just ask for all those listening, your blessing upon them, that you would encourage them, move in their hearts to um, consider, Lord, a possibility of uh, a missionary vocation. If you already have a missionary vocation, you're working in the field, we pray that you, God would bless your ministry yes. uh, and bless, uh, bless you this day with this great presence. And we uh, offer all these things. Today is the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. Yesterday we celebrated the triumph of the cross. So we offer this podcast uh, and all of our endeavors to Jesus uh, in the glory of his cross through the hands of our Blessed Mother who experienced that cross uh, in her own measure uh, as she watched her son killed. And we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hey, God bless you all. We love you, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. We appreciate you listening to today's podcast. Please tune in again next week, and we look forward to seeing you. May God bless you.